Cootsies. You're the best I go to sleep. around. Nothing's ever gonna keep you down. You're the best around. Nothing's ever gonna keep you down. You're the best around. Nothing's ever gonna keep you down. You're the best around. Dan Spaulding in the wow. squadron. Those snaps are mighty, are there, bro. Are there other they're rubbing, two, r- rubbing a couple two-by-fours together. <laughs> Can we get a tight on his fingers? Savage, dude. <laughs> tight on his fingers. <laughs> are there any other words to that song, or is that it? Uh, there's definitely more words to that tune, but I do not know about them. Jury's out. Jury's out on those ones. Just singing it for uh, Dan Spaulding. We are joined in the studio today by uh, the trail boss himself, Mr. Dan Spaulding. This is our fourth attempt. <laughs> Nine. <laughs> fourth what attempt. Happened? We, I don't know. The, what's crazy is I believe that the audio problems that happen on the podcast have never happened on Live at the Lodge. We've had audio problems, but not the same audio problems. And I don't, there's, I think there's ghosts up in this spot. You said the word, the one word you weren't supposed to say. Oh, is it going to mess Every things up now? Every time we say that, we summon them. Oh, God. No. Knock on wood. Every time. Should we stop and restart? <laughs> no. Okay. There's an electrical field around my head. Is there? That just seems you to... You got f- plates in there? Uh, no. <laughs> electrical field. <laughs> no, they- <laughs> you don't, don't sound know. so sure. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, actually <laughs> called, they're actually called servettes. <laughs> Dude, the memory has gotten so bad. I, you Has it? Wait, just you guys wait. Oh, it's man. so great getting old and, and losing various... Memory is the first thing to go. No, huh? it's the second thing. What's first? <laughs> Eyesight. <laughs> that smile is priceless. I'm, I'm, I'm in my... Just... Early 30s, and my mem- I feel like my memory's shot. Yeah. It was it, sweet, though. We watched, uh, Rachel wanted to watch Revenant the other night. Oh, what a good you know. movie. Yeah, and that's like, and I, I'd seen it like, I got, had it on DVD, and I watched it several times, maybe mm. three times. Mm. It's like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll watch it again with you. And, <laughs> and it starts in, it's like, I don't remember this. I don't remember <laughs> this either. It was like a whole new film. It was great. <laughs> So, you know, there's there's advantages. Like Leonardo's in this? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All I remember about it is like uh, Leonardo and this bear and it's nasty. And then he has to kind of crawl out of there for, you know, a long time. And that's all I remember. I mean, none of the backstory. Tom Hardy? He's in this film? That's great. Oh, he's so good. Who's the the youngster, the kid in that? What's Um, his name? His name is Bill uh, William Potier. William Poutine? Port, <laughs> Portier. Oh, Portier, like the fighter. Da- Daniel Portier. I don't know that guy. Like Sidney. Sidney Portier. Sidney Portier. I could be wrong, uh, but I think that's his name. He kills it. He's super He's amazing, good. amazing, yeah. He's great good. actor. Yeah. I um, need to rewatch that film because uh, I watched like a backstory on... It's based on a true story. Yeah, this but glass it's, guy. Yeah. But uh, obviously, there's indulgences uh, specifically inclined for Hollywood. The story I read was that actually the, the the actual true story it was based on was actually bloodier and more fantastic. Really? Than, well, they they added a lot of stuff like the love interest and the mm. 
the son and all well, that. You gotta was add happening. a love interest. Yeah, you gotta have that. You got to. There what? was a love interest in Revenant. The bear. <laughs> it's rough congress is what we call that damn um, the bear <laughs> cinematic masterpiece so apparently this guy came off like a, a ship and it was captured by pirates and then they they gave him the option to either like die with his buddies or become a pirate with them so he joined up with them for a year and then they deserted from the pirate ship and was they were giving chase and he had to navigate various cannibalistic Native American tribes to make it up north, and then he got into this fur trapping, and then, then the bear. So, uh, yeah, wow. it's crazy. They story. shot that whole movie in all out in like all the elements. They had to like change locations because it wasn't actually snowing and didn't have snow in one of the areas that they had originally meant to shoot it at. Where did they shoot it? Montana, uh, Wyoming? BC. No, no, no. I don't think it was in. B- I think it was BC. I, I, oh, yeah, up yeah, in I BC, it was in Canada, somewhere. I don't know. Um, I just named off like three places that I know Montana, have snow Wyoming, in them every Utah. once in a while. <laughs> Russia? They Kirkland. shot in Russia, right? <laughs> yeah. Great film. Yeah. Super good film. What do, what's your favorite film, Dan? Do you have a favorite uh, film? Probably not, but I think like being there with Peter Sellers is one of my top five for sure. Hmm. Wow, I don't even know if I've seen that. Oh, Me neither. brilliant film, yeah. Um, Let's put it on our list. Yeah. You know what movie I watched last night with my folks and my wife? What? Paddington 2. <laughs> oh, nice, dude. It was so good. <laughs> Have you oh, seen that the first little, one? That little bear gave it to me. <laughs> Did you get a couple teardrops? <laughs> yeah, dude. What a positively awesome movie. And you know who came back and just Paddington punched it right two. in the kid? Hugh Grant. Oh. Just oh, came off his little, you know, stint with the with the you know prostitutes and so we're going to talk today about anything to do with bears and Hugh Grant, Hugh Grant. because yeah. he was in that uh, thing with Nicole Kidman here just recently and it was yeah he killed it in that too a movie wow. or a uh, it was called the undoing the undoing yeah ooh i never yeah, saw this it's either kind of a mystery thing dude hugh, hugh grant's he's, a savage bro he's sinister in this one he's so oh really i'm not going to give it away okay. but he did it i can't get him out of my mind from <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sam. oh, that's funny. He's always just that nodding heel guy for me. Cute. I mean, he's the guy who got arrested for summonsing a transsexual prostitute to me. I didn't even know that. You didn't Hollywood. know about this? No. Oh, Ooh, yeah. Really? I don't pay attention oh, his to mug shots, his mugshot's awesome. It's just like, it's just like, oh, no. Like, the look on his face is like, oh, no. You know, they <laughs> say it's lonely at the top, but every bit of evidence i can find like that is it's not lonely you always have someone to keep you company yeah you that, got that mugshot was just him looking at robert downey jr <laughs> yeah <laughs> across from him yeah just waiting in line yeah you got any uh you got any mug shots out in there and the out in the world Dan? never been arrested never really yeah, never been that's pretty good, good on you have you been arrested steve never been arrested Whew. how many times you've been arrested jules like five five wow. Savage, dude. He gets the he wins the coin on this one. Just stupid though. Nothing for any real good reason. I mean, didn't you climb on top of your high school one time and like twice sleep overnight there? Yeah, I climbed on top of my elementary school and then I climbed on top of my high school. I got while you were in an elementary. No, no. When you were in high school, you climbed on top of your elementary school. I was. I had graduated high school, but I was just. I was like, hold up. You graduated high school and then you went back and climbed on Maybe top it was of your like elementary my school. Year. 
Yeah, I, it was just like a place to go. It was just a, we were just camping. We just wanted to like do something stupid. <laughs> so that, that kind of combines camping with park. Yeah, yeah. Par, par, we just wanted to like do parkour. something. Yeah, felt... go Dan. There you go. Yeah, there you go. That's yeah. French for jumping around. Is it yeah. really? No, I don't know. <laughs> parkour, parkour. Um, I've been arrested technically one time, uh, but I never had to go to jail. Mm-mm. But I did have I wore handcuffs and had to sit in the back of a patrol car, and I sobbed. I was sobbing. Did you? Yeah. No, yeah. you weren't. No, were straight you really? up sobbing. Was that the time with you and Brent? Mm-hmm. You yeah. were sobbing. You're yep. tearing up right now a little bit thinking about it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it was. It was bad. Because you were. What were you sobbing for? Because you were afraid you were going to get in trouble by your parents. Like what was no, the, what no, was no. The cry I was. Coming from? I was. Uh, <laughs> It was a feeling of disappointment because I was letting uh, the guys in the band whose oh, yeah. van I was driving down. Because mm-hmm. they it. had to get there's. It's a long story. Have I told you this story before, Dan? Twice on the other two podcasts. (laughs) 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 Okay, well then, for the folks at home sitting on the edge of their seats, um, I, uh, me and a friend drove overnight, um, two nights in a row to get some band equipment to the venue while the band that the band equipment was for was flying, and we brought weed with us and i know it's a long one i'm gonna shorten it up (laughs) anyways um we got caught with the weed from police officers and uh i got handcuffed thrown in the back of the squad car and i knew that like i wasn't gonna get the equipment there in time and of course at this point in my life i think i was like 21 maybe i was convinced that like driving this band's equipment to the venue was like somehow going to Get me a get chance to like have a gig, which is ridiculous. Maybe it did. No, nope, nope, it didn't. Nah. Well, Brian, you. Brian did uh, track my. He produced my first record last week, and if and if I wouldn't have got his equipment there in, on time, I don't done. know if he would have. He would have been like, bro, come on. Shout out to Brian Fennell. Shout out to Brian Fennell in Barcelona, Rhett Stone Lake, and oh. Bob. How could I do it? It's not Bob. Definitely not Bob. But um, uh, Dan, what have you been up to? I know you've been tinkering on cars. You've been building a cabin. You've been learning. You were in our Christmas special. You learned 42 Christmas songs. Let's let's, let's really quickly educate the, the, the listeners who Dan even is because he built this whole entire space that we're doing this podcast out of, and he makes it possible for us to do this thing. Yeah, so this, this uh, space, as well as many other spaces in the Spokane area, um, have Dan's fingerprint on them. Uh, the Zephyr Lodge is one of those spaces. You you brought me out here back in, I think it was 2017 or 16, Dan. Do you Probably remember? Probably 16. 16, yeah. yeah. And you walked me around the premises, and I had this like look on my face like, ooh, you get your work cut out for you, player. And then two years later, it's this beautiful space with um, – upwards of 20 different rooms for lodging a amphitheater a beautiful bar it's it's like the hippest little hideaway from uh it's the hippest little hideaway from uh from liberty lake 
That was so, Brittany. <laughs> oh, Brittany trying to get a hold of me. <laughs> uh, what up, Brittany? <laughs> <laughs> How's it? <laughs> uh, Dan's like, I'm out. With that being yeah. <laughs> I gotta go. Um, uh, I forgot my train of thought because of that phone call, but... Beautiful space. Yeah, you you've, you kind of cultivate and create these really epic spaces um, architecturally. You started out, though, as a painter. Yeah. Yeah. You started out in the junkyard, as we like to say. Yeah, that's right. You started out, you grew up in a yeah. junkyard. Yeah, love grease, you know, grease and gears, and then uh, kind of went into the visual arts world and then kind of branched out into, you know, development. And what's interesting is you kind of brought those two worlds together, If, in, in my personal opinion. The first building that I ever saw you work on or that I kind of had met you and then seen your fig- fingerprint involved in it was a building downtown, a wonderful bar called Zola. And it, uh, it t- you took a lot of things that m- people might throw away. And you repurpose them and reuse them in this space. There's a an old sign, um, I forget what it says, but a big, huge sign hung upside down. It's like a wine rack in there. There's an old like quarter uh, sailboat that's like flipped on its side and cut in half and used as a long bench seat. Mm-hmm. Like the your ability to see things that most people would go, ah, get rid of that, and reuse it and repurpose it. Obviously probably comes from growing up in a junkyard yeah probably That's who who owned the junkyard in your family that you started working it was, it's at? like a it's a family third generation fourth generation really my, my nephews are in there now so yeah really four generations crazy wow back back to the 20s you know no way you didn't get any trouble you didn't get arrested growing up in a junkyard hell like no that just goes hand in hand no i mean you have like a never-ending supply of hall passes when your dad has a junkyard Really? Like my high school football coach, like third period one day in his geology class, he goes, hey, Sporting, come over here. And he's, he says, I need a wing bent for my, my pickup out there. You know? And, and he sends me, for me, sends me, Coach Nicholson. Let me start. Uh, coach Schill, shout out to Bob Schill. Shout out. Good guy. Uh, but he sends me home like at 10 in the morning on a Tuesday to get a little wing bent for his old Chevy pickup I go out bust out grab a part come back before the period is out and <laughs> and uh, I don't know why I'm telling that story <laughs> I was asking like what you it's like, well hall passes yeah like, it's, it's amazing that. it's like <laughs> yeah if I, I remember getting pulled over a number of times as it when I first got my license and they'd see my last name and 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 you have to understand that I you know this is East Valley if any of you know what this is all about we're out here in the sticks and and just to give you an idea where the the bar was set in you know in terms of status and that sort of thing um i was at the top of the food chain because my dad owned a junkyard you know so so that was a big deal to most of the kids your dad has a junkyard Mm. you know take that to manhattan and see how far it flies yeah i guess i just like don't i put it in different context because i i grew up in like the suburbs and not out in the sticks and so owning a junkyard you probably you probably had like a good barter system for yourself going on at some point. Well, like I said, if I get pulled over, the cop would see my last name. It's like, oh, yeah, hey, but slow her down a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Mm. but it wasn't, you know, 
Did you like it? Did you appreciate that upbringing? And no, being, not being the in time. It? I mean, no. I, I totally get it now. But at the time, I wanted to just be a kid. And uh. it was just a kind of prevailing work ethic in my family that, like, after school and on Saturdays, you came down and you got your little toolbox and you How old were you parts. then? Like, you, like, as early as what? Six. Really? Wow. Six, seven, yeah, whatever. God, that's why you got such a good work ethic, man. You've been working since you were six years old. Yeah, and it, you know, I'm sure it seems a lot more rigorous as a kid. It was probably you know a few hours here, a few hours there. It wasn't. It wasn't. I like was we picking thirteen hour days in a sweatshop, but picking right. poopy wedgies out of my pants when I was six years old, dude. I was and doing the same thing. And I was doing the same thing with one hand, and the other hand had a branch. I'm like yeah, laying well, yeah, on my back in the wet snow, pulling, yeah, pulling somebody's wiper motor. What do you think the greatest, the one of the greatest cars ever built was? Like the mechanisms of the uh, motor vehicle, I'm, you're pretty familiar with. It, I'm the not. Datsun 240Z was just an amazing little sweet spot of affordability and amazing uh, technology, and you know for what it was. What happened to Datsun? They became Nissan. They became Nissan. Uh, they, okay. I, it was probably already Nissan, but they rebranded it in the late 70s. Is Nissan is that Japanese or uh -huh. Korean? Japanese. Japanese. Yeah. We had a Datsun. My dad. I don't know what the model was, but he had a Datsun, a gray uh, wagon, gray Datsun wagon. Could have been a 510. That was also an amazing vehicle. Maybe it was, yeah. but it sat in our backyard for, I mean, from, from the age of seven till I graduated high school. Just sat back there. And my dad was always just like, oh, you know, kind of the age old age-old uh, story, I'm going to fix that someday. I'm going to get my tools together. I'm going to fix that thing. And, man, it sat back there. It never rusted. Like, it was uh, yeah. it was amazing how well it uh, stayed in shape through all of the winters in Chewila. But I'm going to bet that was a Datsun 510 wagon. Awesome little cars with independent rear suspension on a cheap Japanese station wagon. Just, you know, cool. mind-blowing. Hey, Dan, i got a question for you. Go ahead. Could you explain half cars to me? Because if you've ever driven through, like, northern Texas, there's a bunch of those, you know, Datsun 510s or whatever in people's backyards next to the rusted-out oh, playgrounds. Uh -huh. Half cars. What's the deal with these half cars that people just have? Do you know what I'm talking about? Nope. They're Perfect. Like, they look like hatchbacks? They're, no, like they're like chopped literally in half. chopped in half. Like, probably people just have, like, the front of a car on their lawn. Probably just <laughs> for parts, Steve, I would guess. They just they just cut the, the, back, the ass off and reattach it to something? No, they probably just kept the good half of a car around for, for harvesting parts. I, don't, I have no idea what you're talking about. Did you ever, is there ever in, in the junkyard? I've never been to northern Half houses. cars. Like I should know what that phrase means. Literally. Half car. You're talking about a <laughs> Geo Metro, right? Um, uh, your brother is uh, essentially running Spalding uh junkyards right now correct your your brother russ yeah, don't let russ hear you call it a junkyard though oh i'm sorry pull and save or what is he well that's yeah that's uh, just they call it a wrecking yard or wrecking sal yard. salvage yard salvage yard okay um he's he's currently in charge of it and running it yeah S sweet man we've done a bunch of music videos out at uh spaulding's um pull wrecking and save yard wrecking yard and they have this machine that will smash a car in like 15 seconds. You just put a car in there and just 
just smashes it. When you were coming up in the junkyard, do you ever remember a moment where you were like blown away by a piece of machinery? Not really, because I was around it ever since I can remember. I mean, yeah. I just, you know. Did you ever see some sketchy business happening with people coming trying to like get rid of their cars? Like I'm thinking Breaking Bad right now when he's trying to like get his RV smashed because he's selling drugs out of it and people did you ever did you ever know no, anything like of, that going on? The state of Washington's pretty tight with uh, yeah, with their kind of their their uh, you know, what do you call it? Uh, regulation on what can happen because uh-huh. you know, a little a little crack in that door can go pretty wide in terms of you know chop shops and cars getting stolen mm-hmm. and parts being resold and and getting rid of something to do with any kind of crime like that so no i didn't i, don't, I mean i'm sure there was at some yeah, point but i never know. saw it yeah you know interesting but my, my 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 father was always really like he's that guy who pays every dime of his taxes plays by all the rules uh just you know just a really upfront guy i'm not that guy i will you know <laughs> you know, I'll cut a corner here and there if I can, but you know that's just me. Yeah. Mm. Needless to say, you uh, became pretty savvy with automotives and tools uh, as a youngster, and then came up to get involved in art. How did those things coincide? Yeah. When did that happen? When would that? Uh, like? Well, you know, I as a kid, I could, you know, I was always a, like the best drawer in the class. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had a facility for kind of spatial things and, and drawing, which, you know, isn't really art. It's just it's just a, a facility, you know. And as Al will tell you, I mean, just because you can sing doesn't make you a great artist. It means you can you can hold a note and hear where you're at pitch wise, but that doesn't make you an artist. That just means you have a tool. So, sure. really, um, so I always knew I had that kind of that that facility, but I I never really. You know, I was growing up in the 80s, so, you know, it was all about, you know, money and status and, you know, cars and houses. And, you know, that was that was the thing, you know. It was a whole different mindset back then. That was Isn't everything. That's, that's still the thing for well, some people. Well, it can be, but I think there's a, there's, I've seen six, you know, generations have come, uh, come around since then who have this whole other appreciation for things in life that are more important and more real. Mm-hmm. So, which is refreshing. I mean, that'll always be alive and greed is and and all that is nothing new. It'll always be around, but it's just kind of the the pendulum swings probably. In the mm-hmm. 80s, man, it was like it was everything they show you in the movies or Wolf you know, Wall Street. Yeah. It was it was pretty bad. Yeah. So, anyway, once I got kind of past my little taste of that, I you know, I remember being 25 and just going, there's got to be something better than this. Because this is just, all there is. You, you know? were just a money hungry guy at that no, point. No, I wasn't just... money hungry. I just I kind of wanted to live that life, and yeah. money is the way you got that. But, sure. But once I kind of got just just a foot in the door, it's like ah, this. I don't want to. I don't want to head down this road any further. I get it. It was fun for a minute, but by the time I was twenty five, I was like over it. Mm. So, so then I I, I kind of took a time out and and moved to Australia, and then kind of got thinking about did some journaling and thought about what I really want to do and and that was one of them the visual arts I was come back and explore that so um so that's what I did where'd you go when you moved to Australia where'd you live uh I posted up in a place called Kulangata which is yeah. on the 
You know it, Alan? I've heard of it. I've heard the name. I couldn't point it's it on out the on the map. Border between New South Wales and Queensland. It's kind of right where the water starts to get warm. Mm-hmm. So that was a good place to be. And was it what brought you down there surfing or beaches? Yeah, I just want to learn how to surf. Yeah. So I bought a car and a surfboard. And I didn't know at the time that the surfboard I bought was way too small for a guy my size. <laughs> Those are hard to ride when they're small. Yeah, they're almost impossible. Yeah. Especially when you're learning. We yeah, went totally. We went surfing. Uh, me and Taz got married twice, technically. So we, we got married in a very small uh, um, ceremony right before Christmas because we were sort of afraid that uh, Taz's grandmother was going to pass away mm. and wasn't going to make our big celebration wedding. And also we needed time for our immigration papers to go through and dan had come to australia dan and his partner rachel had come over to australia with us um during that time and we went <laughs> we went surfing oh jeez! i'd never surfed before but dan had done it and dan comes up f- from the shore with just this gash and was your oh, forehead yeah this is gash in his forehead come down I'm like bro kind of from far away i was like whoa dude dan got burnt that's like how did he get so burnt so fast Fleeting. And uh, yeah, you popped off your board. That board came back and whacked you in the in Ooh. the noggin. Yeah, it was pretty. Yikes! Pretty you know how in the movies when they they got the wound and it never heals, it's it's still bleeding right now. You see nice, that? Nice, dude. <laughs> still up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah Damn, that was a boy. good one. Damn, that was a good whip. But yeah, Dan was at our uh, our ceremony. Your he was first, our witness. Your f- yeah, really cool. Yeah, it was really special. Nice. And man. Um, so you you're 25. You moved to Australia. You decide, hey man, there's there's more than just um, party all the time. L.A. And roll. L.A. looks and cocaine. Yeah. And uh, what what got you connected to painting? Because you are an unbelievable portrait painter. Um, I owe all of that and 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 more to a guy named Bob Gilmore, who mm. was a uh, uh, art instructor at Gonzaga University for. 50 years, and he recently passed away maybe four years ago. Shout out to the Zags, number one in the country yeah, right now, that? baby. Bob had a lot to do with that, too. He was a, he was a huge basketball aficionado. Really? Had met Bob cool. Cousy, you know, like from Boston, you know? And uh, we, we would sit down and we would talk about two things. One would be painting, and that would take about 10% of our time, and then the other 90% was basketball because we were both big basketball fans. Mm-hmm. But he was like, had this immense knowledge of basketball and we would analyze these teams because this has been going on for 21 years now you know since dan munson and mark few kind of came in and they they were the architects of this whole new gu uh regime Mm -hmm. and what an amazing story that is but bob would you know we would sit down and analyze what's going on with the teams and the players and what they need to do and the guy was always spot on could you know just I went out and made the mistake of playing horse with this guy once. And he was, you know, like 30 years my senior. And I'd just been gotten into basketball, and I thought I was pretty good. And he goes, hey, let's go play some horses. That's what he called it, horses. <laughs> did you add an extra S at the he end? He did. Yeah. yeah. So, so. It's like, uh, you got a horse. <laughs> no, we, horses. we need one more letter. <laughs> but we go out there, and this guy, um, like, did not miss. He was about... Five four and could shoot from anywhere and make it. You know, all these old school set shot, you know, but amazingly accurate and hadn't played in God, I don't know how long. But did he bank everything? Some of them, 
But he, when he did, he meant to. <sighs> yeah, my yeah. dad. Jeez. We'll, we'll get together during Thanksgiving holidays, you know. My dad shoots it. The, you know, the one leg up, like <laughs> the pistol Pete, the one leg up from the hip. <laughs> and he'll rock. I mean, like three-quarter court. Bank it. Yeah. You know, he looks at me and goes, yeah, I missed it so far. I made it. asshole dad Um, so Bob Gilmore um, is a mentor of sorts that gets you into portrait painting yeah he was you know he didn't get me into portrait painting he just he was just showing me how shit should get done Mm. and what to think about and gave me a philosophy and a and and a just a so many things that we don't have time for but but you know I owe this guy so much for just, um, you know, it was it was just this higher level of, of of thinking and responsibility. Mm. You know, like take some shit seriously. Mm. A lot of stuff you can let go, but there are certain things you just need to keep precious and dear. Yeah, what were some of those things you would say that he instilled in in your at least in the creative um, process? First thing that comes to mind is just being authentic. Like don't. Don't try to fake it. Mm. You know this from singing because, like, you know, if you're putting on someone else's deal, it shows through. You know, you got to be yourself. You have to be authentic. You have to um, be real at all mm. times in that process. Mm. And the minute you stray from that, it it shows up, you know. Does that make sense? Totally, man. I, uh, yeah, I listen, I listen to a lot of, recordings that i've made in my life and some of them make my head go like <laughs> this because i know that i wasn't being fully you authentic or fully me i, I maybe let a little bit go yeah. in in moments where you know you let specific opinions kind of come through your orbit and and find their way into your universe and and those opinions make sense Right, like you can kind of rationalize anything. I think as a creative person, I can personally. Oh, I see how that might work. I see how that has worked for somebody else. But, but man, you just you feel it. Me personally, when I listen back to a recording that is not fully authentically me, yeah. I f- I feel it in my bones. Just like yeah, this is not. It's weird. It's it's weird. And, and the funny thing is, is that there's only so many people who can also feel it like people who are really close to me will listen to a tune you know that i've done that's not that's not fully authentic al and they do the same the same thing mm-hmm. but yet people who don't know me personally don't know me very well they they can't tell the difference well, isn't it interesting though that you can in in the creative arts you can get by with being inauthentic you can get by not being full like in order to be an athlete, you have to be the, the greatest there is to, to participate, right. to play. Yeah. In, in the creative world, you, you don't. And you, yes, you want to be as authentic as you can be, but you don't necessarily have to to succeed. So you have to make the choice to be the authentic version of yourself, to give your truest self to the thing, to the craft that you're pursuing. So you had to make that choice at some point in your life, correct? And th- and this is what Bob yeah, Gilmore apparently instilled a, in you. This is the the, the big crossroads you're going to run into, no matter what you're doing. If it's acting, if it's uh, making music, if it's the visual arts, whatever it is that's creative, it's not quantifiable. You can't say I put up forty points last night. Right. Yeah, there's not. 
you what you have is your own barometer in all this and and uh, a quote comes to mind i can't remember who where i got it but it was uh, no one ever went broke underestimating the tastes of the american public mm. you know so you can you can probably get rich a couple easy ways. One is robbing banks, and the other is just doing kind of an okay job at whatever you know, writing a half half ass song that you know is going to sell, or right. you know. Uh, and I was actually on a path of, of illustration for a minute back in the day when I got first got started. And Bob pulled me aside one day and goes, "Hey, he goes, you know, what you're doing is great. You know, those are those are really fine illustrations, but that's commercial, you know, and there's a difference. And you may not know it now, but you, you're not going to be able to rinse off the smell of that when you go to do your other work. Mm. It's going to, you, you, you creatively get just confused and you don't remember where you are, who you are, because you're spending part of your time and part of your headspace is spent doing something that's going to get you money and you're doing it for someone else. And, and he had what was called the golden triangle. That was... <coughs> <coughs> That was your easel, your palette, and your own head, and your own eyes. And and he says, don't let anybody in there mm. inside that triangle. He goes, because if you're thinking about, like I had a, you know, a gallery owner once that said, you know, but we, I can't sell green paintings. I, no one buys green. Like, so I can't make a green painting now? Or I, the last show I hung <laughs> was all portraits, and the, and the guy called me back after a studio visit. And he, well, he actually came into the studio, and I was getting the show ready, and I had dozens of paintings, but they were all portraits. And he goes, "I can't sell portraits." And I said, "Well, that's what I have, you know." <laughs> but if you're, you know, if that's the the influence you're allowing in to that equation, then then you're kind of doomed in a certain way. So yeah, I feel for musicians because um, I see so many of them around just around here especially there's amazing talents and really extraordinary people with such great gifts and i can just see them torn all the time between trying to make a go of it but they want to be compensated and I, my answer is always the same it's like you you know if you if you let compensation if you're trying to make music your livelihood that's a really tough go and i think al could spend a couple hours telling you about that yeah it's not easy and you're you know you're you're the one in the million who's actually kind of gotten over a certain hump there, but it's it's never easy and it's never a done deal. No, it's a you get up every day and it's get to work. Yeah, it's it's it's, uh, but that's anything too. I mean, I don't think anything's a done deal. So, so the, the, the upshot of that is, I you know, he, Bob told me he says, if you're going to be a painter, if you're going to be a real artist, you know, screw all that. So you keep that over here, and you make your money somewhere else. So that's mm. what I did. I, I started buying real estate and had this nice passive income after a while that mm. allowed me to to focus on on painting when I was painting and not worry about having to sell it. Yeah. So, so cool. So when you started to understand that, did it change your approach to the craft, or did it change your attitude to the craft, or both? Oh, it, it, I you know, hard to say. Uh what it would look like without it, but uh, yeah, I'm pretty certain it's a whole different animal yeah, just, because of that. Yeah, just a yeah. You probably weren't far enough down the path of making a living off your art yeah. to really see the contrast. 
And right. you know, it's so it's so alluring to to you know, you know, you sell your first couple paintings or songs or whatever it is, and and it feels so good to be validated that way. And you want to go to your you know Thanksgiving with your family and say, I sold a bunch of paintings and I'm a pro now. And yeah. I, I'm making it, and you know, everybody wants that. Right. And that's, I think, a big part of the carrot that sits out there. But, you know, really, if you're in it for the long haul, you, you, you know, you wouldn't listen to that. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't be trying to achieve that. You'd be keeping that all separate. But mm. it's really hard. I get it, you know. Would you have even wanted to be a professional, make money musician, artist, uh, any of those things? Or did you have this by design kind of lifestyle that you now live? Uh, you know, the the more you, you get exposed to all this, and again, I'm sure Al can speak to all this, but the you, know, you start getting a glimpse of what it's like for people who have, you know, gone in front of you and are, are on higher tiers than you are. And it doesn't get better necessarily. Yeah. It just gets different. And there sure. might be more money there, but there are more expenses, um, more complications, more demands that, that mm-hmm. you probably don't want to have to deal with. So, um, you know, I, I think from what I can see already, just, just our little fun gigs at Zola yeah. are about as rewarding as it can get in in the big picture yeah, totally. in, a, in a lot of ways. I'm not saying, it, you know, there aren't other other rewards out there that are that are amazing too but on the whole it's you know sometimes we just don't realize how good we have it mm-hmm. yeah in a lot of yeah. ways and be careful what you wish for yeah because i've certainly seen you and in, in, in the your trajectory and not, not to say that you are by any means ungrateful for where you have gotten but i've seen a shift in your life as you've gotten farther along in your career and like done better made more money again it's not to say that you've ever been ungrateful for any of that but it's, it's definitely shifted your perspective of of what you're doing and why you're doing it. And it's interesting how that all happens. Yeah. I mean, you change over time and you adjust and adapt. And, um, I think I've always, I've known you, Dan, for coming up on 10 years now, maybe even longer. And I think I've always been very interested in that perspective that you've held and that you've executed, which is, keeping your art sacred and keeping it away from um, the almighty dollar and the need to make the almighty dollar. That's something that I've looked at and gone, man, I wish I could figure out a way to do that um, so that I could come at art more purely. I still do approach art very purely. I do, for sure. Um, I do my best to not look at the 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 dollar amount or the 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 co- the commas but at the end of the day uh when when you make a living doing anything it's going to yeah make its way into your perception and um yeah i mean there's definitely moments like i said where i can look i can listen to songs and be like yeah yeah that was that was me trying to that was me trying to like do the thing that that made me think i was going to get paid that paycheck that was going to help me forget about, you know, whatever I was, was, was on my docket for that time being. But, um, I think, uh, yeah, you can't, you can't pull out of your own perspective of your art and, and try and look at it from a different angle, uh, without 
I mean, specifically for me, right? Like I think, I think about your position with painting and with playing bass and, um, I mean, you went, <laughs> you joined a band uh, a couple years back and you went on tour in Europe uh, for months. Yeah, a, two, it, two European tours. Two yeah. European tours in a van yeah. with... Um, and <laughs> eight adult males. Eight adult males. <laughs> <One day>. And <laughs> we, like, I mean, me and Steve, we've been doing bus tours for, what, Steve, coming up on five years now? How long you been in a bus with me? Yeah, over five years. Over Six five years? Yeah. If somebody came to you tomorrow and was like, hey, bro, you try, I got this, I got this tour in a, in a 40 Conaline, what would you say? I got nothing else to do. <laughs> That's not the answer. You That's not the for. answer, no. <laughs> no, the answer I want to hear is I got this pretty cush thing with Alan Stone up in the attic. And uh, it doesn't require me living in a 40 Econoline 350 for... But when I heard that you were going to do that trip, Dan, I, it, it just it sent me over the moon, I think, because the, you do that for the joy of, of experiencing that and playing the music. And when I think of that, I'm like, first of all, it sounds like torture um, because I've just my perspective of of the thing is just a little bit different now granted it's not torture obviously and and i'm being well, i think you i think you nailed it actually it, <laughs> it, it it really in very many ways is torture well there's probably some people listening to this that might go man i would kill i would kill for yeah, that opportunity sure. to play gigs get and in a van and go on tour you should i think everybody should experience yeah, it without I, question but I, the fact that you were I cherish those times and i won't ever do it again yeah, uh, not like that. Yeah, but the, but I think the difference between you and a lot of other people that might be listening or doing the same thing is that you didn't do it because you needed to. It wasn't yeah. an obligation for yeah, you. You didn't you chose need to do, to do it. it. You chose to do it because you apparently just wanted that experience and because you thought it would be fulfilling. It was. It was a really great uh, season, and I learned so much about so many things. You know. I didn't even know what I was going to learn going, and it was just like, yeah, let's do it. And and um, what an eye opener in so many ways. And I and I'm so grateful to get all those lessons. Um, but it is a young man's sport for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like that... like probably raising a child. You know, like that's another young man's sport. I mean, I'm in my 30s, bro, and I <laughs> I'm like I'm I'm too old for that. Nah, it's a. Uh, there's a yeah, definitely touring in a Ford Econoline van is a young man's sport. And I think when I think back about the the tours, the first tours that I ever got on, um, I was so like elated, and I'm still excited to tour, and I can't wait for it to come back. I love being out on the road and playing live shows, but um, yeah, the older you get, the harder it is. Like the more space you want, the more comfort you want, the more the the more joys and and niceties you've tasted in life so you 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 kind of harken back to those um you you and i when we were in australia uh we went we went to the the melbourne uh museum of modern art together that was super cool and we're walking through they have paintings from from everybody in there and we stopped at these van goghs and uh I'm, I'll misquote you, but essentially what you, what you were saying was, look, 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 look how perfect that is. 
Now, anybody who's not familiar with Van Gogh, like, which I'm not, I am not incredibly knowledgeable about Van Gogh, but but his paintings for the time, as I understand it, were like very, um, not off-putting, but just like out there. It was way way ahead of his time. Way ahead of his time, yeah. and. Uh, you looked at that painting. You said, "Look at look how good that is." Um, he knew when to stop. I think it was a Rembrandt that we were looking at. Oh, maybe it was because because Van Gogh was. I mean, all his stuff was out there. Rembrandt, however, if you look at his body of work, uh, a lot of them are really polished, and those are usually you know paintings for other people. But I think it was a self portrait that we were looking at. Yeah, I'm, I'm, and it and he and it was much just you know rougher and the bro- the the brush strokes were much broader and it was just much more economy of and 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 that was cuz you could tell he's like you know that's it's just that's just it. for me that's all that's all I need to do otherwise you're you know got a commission or somebody wants a mm. portrait done they want it to look a certain way and and back then it, they didn't have photography so you were the de facto photographer back if you did a portrait back in the day prior to photography they they wanted it to look polished and and you know, everything was blended and smoothed out. And, yeah. You know, you, and then there you come across this other one, and it's just more of a modern approach to, to painting. And it was because he was off the clock, you know? Yeah, I think the the idea that stuck with me, though, that you had explained in that moment was, and like I said, I'm probably going to misquote you, but it's like, he, you, you know, he knew when to stop, right? Like... Yeah. Art is this, there's really good artists all over the place. And um, this happens to me constantly because I kind of have a a perfectionist OCD mentality towards music and what I do. Or at least I I have before prior to to, uh, maybe how I am now. But... Doing something and and cultivating that spark and and knowing when to let it go and and put it out, let people see it, because you can constantly <laughs> manipulate and you can constantly redo and you can you can always manage to shade this and sh- shave that. And yeah, this is a I, I see it as a systemic problem, uh, especially it's always ha- always has been I think you know because that's the that tipping point of. Uh, you know, when something's at its greatest and strongest and it gets covered up or eradicated because the, you have this compulsion to to complete it or to refine it or make it what somebody else wants, coming back to the Rembrandt paintings, like, you know, well, I know I know they're not going to like it if I leave it in this state. I better, I better go ahead and start blending and mm. glossing shit over. I mean, um, so there's that tipping point where something's at its best, you know, like I, I look, I drive by and watch people frame a house and some, you know, just the, sometimes just the bare studs is the best that house is going to get. And then they start skinning it and covering shit up. And, Mm. and, and I think it happens in a lot of things. And it's my chief gripe with music today is the record, the, 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 the tools we have available to us are endless in terms of being able to, um, take any given piece of music and just keep polishing the shit out of mm. it until it's, you know, it's just a sterile piece of shit. Yep. And, 
And you can do the same thing with a painting, especially now with digital graphics. And you can just, you know, you look at every, even go to the grocery store and you look at the boxes now, the labeling. And everything's got this clever drop shadow and gradating and all this, all this crap. Because they can. And it's, you know, you compare that to the old packaging. Mm. It's night and day. It's so much better, so much stronger. And, and uh, the ability to kind of recognize that, that difference, the, the, you know, that more is not better mm. is critical. But it's, it's becoming kind of a lost concept. Yeah, I think um, I think I completely agree with you, and and I think there's a there's another art form in knowing when to use those tools and how to use them and how much to use them. Because I'm kind of a tech freak. I I I, I love the um, the the. Uh, the ease that specific technologies have brought into my life, specifically up here in this attic, uh, video cameras. Um, but, but I'm also like an old soul and really dig the way that things were put together back when they had to be put together that way, if that makes sense. And so for me in the cultivation of music or um, video, if you're leaning too much on the technology, that's when, to me, it, you lose sight of what, what you want to convey in that piece. You want the human to shine through. And the human has these, what we would call imperfections, but I would call it the perfection, um, that if you completely alleviate a piece of art of that, a house, a a, a painting, um, a, a piece of content, music, video, uh, then yeah, it just becomes robotic and and plastic. Well, as you're talking about that, and you, you know, that's a big swath of, of of stuff to think about. But what leaps to my mind is process, mm. and this is what we've lost in a lot of ways. You know, uh, if you think about texting and emails, even how they have robbed us of real communication. Yep. Like, you know, face-to-face -face is one thing, but like back in the day, you know, you write a letter. Um, what, I, what I was taught when I was a kid was like, you know, you, you, or if you're writing a paper even, you're, you're going to gather your thoughts on cards or whatever and, and then maybe do a, a first draft based on that and then kind of organize your thoughts a little more and then sleep on it and get up the next day and reread it. It's like, oh, that's not what I want to say. That does not how I want to come off and you'd rewrite it and do a second draft. And then you might do a third draft the next day mm. and say just what you want to say, then you'd send it out, mm. fold it up, put an envelope, send it to you or hand it to somebody or whatever it is. Or we're, we we're facing now the opposite of that. Now anyone can just, I, I equate, equate it to the old prank where you shit in a paper bag, light it on fire, <laughs> drop it on someone's doorstep and ring the doorbell and run away because that's I'd get so many texts and emails and things like this where it's just that it's just a it one just way as offensive it's a it's a one way selfish uh, kind of communication it's like you know I'm going to construct this version of things I'm going to drop it here and then and then and then you leave you know mm -hmm. send it it's out there and it's usually done in a moment of kind of agitated uh 
state of mind, and it's not good. And what we're missing there is, is process, and what, what I think uh, Rob's art of its authenticity is process as well. If you're able to sit down in a nice, tidy little laptop with some graphics thing, and and you got these colors right there, and you're not even your hands dirty. You're just like, and and it looks great. It looks super killer, like cool. And it just took me half hour, and it's colorful, and I, you know, and I can run through this filter, and and but it's still a pile of shit. And music's the same way. All these things require a requisite amount of time and focus and energy and reflection. Mm. And when you don't give it all that, you're, you're left with something that might look okay. It's McDonald's, you know, it might look okay. might taste okay initially. Mm. Mm, that's great, but it's not going to, it's not going to sustain you. Yeah. I kind of, I been thinking a lot about how much information is constantly thrown at us throughout the day and it's over-processed information too right like we're connected to headlines really these like sensationalized clickbait headlines that are simply just trying to get us to mine our attention so that they can sell it to advertisers but it almost it feels like a lot of human existence is connecting to this over-processed experience from the food we eat to the information that we're given, to even, you know, how quick we need to put something out, right? Like, in order to feel like we're in competition with our peers, it has to just be so fast, 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 like, get it, get it, get it, get it. And um, it's this urgency to everything. Right. It feels know? like there's this urgency. I fall into that a lot, too, because I feel like I'm just, I'm falling behind. People are forgetting about me, you know? Who are you again? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know, sometimes. Um, but, uh, I don't know. I mean, like, I think maybe I would connect back to that idea of the, like being a good steward of that technology because I personally believe that there's like technology is great, right? This microphone, uh, this, this table is a, kind of technology those those shoes are a specific kind of technology right but it's i don't know there's like this weird balance between what is um too much of a of a technology it, it alleviates um the human element right like if you have shoes that are uh have the sole is too thick you you can weaken your heel or weaken your yeah. your your it's a crutch your balance it's a crutch right yeah. and i think that we have a tendency to lean on these crutches a little bit too heavy and it robs us of our humanism a little bit yeah absolutely i mean th- this is a great example right here yeah. uh it's a extremely powerful tool crazy but it could also rob you of so much if you don't keep it you know in check you know it's so they made it so easy for you to let it rule your lives and you know going back to the last point i was making about process you know the uh the good news is it's so accessible and so inexpensive to obtain these tools to like say record music Mm -hmm. you know anyone you know any kid can do amazing things on his phone now you know 
Um, but, you know, the, take the recording process, for instance. Mm. You know, uh, that's one of these areas I see where we, we really are suffering overall because, because things are too easy, because they're too direct. Um, the, the, the necessary gymnastics of reflection and a little more time and, and, and rooting these things out and, and maybe um, a higher level of scrutiny from, even from the artist's standpoint is missing. It's just too easy to pop it out, let it go, do the next one. And, and that's what I see happening. It's like there's just not enough time spent with anything to, to really get it to uh, its greatest place. Mm. Do you think that that is simply a shadow of um, the expanse of distraction that's come about in the last? Oh yeah, it's all. I mean, it's hard to separate any of this out. It's 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 our it's our culture. We've got several generations now who had it so easy and expect it to be that way. And that's why I think we're experiencing this this kind of pushback with our current crisis. Is like we've got two, three generations who've never had to face adversity, mm. never had to pivot, never had to change their MO. And, you know, and it's this kind of insurance mentality. Well, I buy insurance policy, then I'm covered. Mm. <laughs> Even if bad shit happens to me, I'll be covered. It's like, no, bad shit will happen. It may affect you. You might have to change your game up. You might have to rethink things a little bit or a lot. And and I think that is is kind of what we're facing right now. We're just a whole country full of kind of soft people who who even, you know, you could talk to your dad and he's like, well, I've never had to deal with this either. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, and I, and I feel like that's where we're at right now with, with just so many people who haven't experienced having to, to change anything up. Yeah. To switch it up. I, uh, it's interesting with the phone as you pick it up. Uh, my son is approaching two <laughs> and, Technology and screens is like a real thing, um, meaning it's it's a what I would call an obstacle, um, and trying to maneuver his life to have a good relationship with these technologies has been a pretty interesting subject, specifically between me and Taz. Um, and I'm curious that you might know a little bit of this history, but as you're talking, Dan, and we're talking about cars earlier, um, I, I don't know when the first combustion engine vehicle was released to the public, but late 1800s? Am I kind of rough were, there? Yeah, yeah, early 1900s commercially. Early yeah. 1900s commercially, okay. So they were released as a private, a private company brought these to the public. At some point, the government said you can't drive one of these things until you're 16. <laughs> yeah. I don't know the history of it, but I'm curious to know why that same thing hasn't even been talked about with phones. Because there's such a new tech. Well, I guess was it was that decision made right away when the? Car I don't know. I mean, I don't know the history yeah. of it, but I feel. I, I mean, you're not running anyone over with a phone. Yeah. Yeah, but look at the shit that is happening because oh. of the ability to like garbage fire on public forums with the internet like i i it's it's interesting how 
and I don't know if it's been intentional. I would imagine that private companies are like, we want everybody to be able to have one of these, right? But Hell yeah. me and Taz have trying to been f- trying to figure out exactly how to phrase and, and regulate regulate this yeah. thing yeah. because we know that I mean he's already fine like he knows about it. Yeah. He he's already infatuated with the screen, with the phone. If we've got it nearby, he's gonna find it. He's gonna pick it up and try to look at it, right? Like he's it's you can't not. But the other day I was like, well why don't we approach it like we would driving? I I never had any qualms about getting behind the seat of a car when I was 12 years old. Like, it wasn't like my dad, when I was 12, had to pry me away from the driver's seat of a car. Like, it was just, it, it was, it made sense that as a 12-year-old, I was not old enough to drive a car. Not equipped. Why doesn't, why don't we have that same I- ideology <clears throat> with phones with our children? It's just not one and the same, man. They're just two completely different things. And you didn't grow up with phones in your life when you were born to recognize what that might be like for you if you were four five six nine twelve right and okay. being like i think i think what al was getting at initially if i got you correctly is like with any emerging technology be it the automobile or the internet a lawnmower a lawnmower what well, yeah i mean uh there's there's going to be a an arc and at some point in that arc there, there will probably be uh point where they they instill some regulation like i'm sure i mean they were a horseless carriage but they were basically cars and they they probably just were out there like buggies with horses and they became so prevalent and probably you know collisions were happening and people were dying a little more than they would with, with horse-drawn buggies so they probably felt the need to do that and i think yeah i don't know i it, it makes me okay being a not not being a parent right now because i don't know what i would do with a child right now same. Like, wow. Well, you got to feed them. Yeah. <laughs> That's one major thing that I... What? I went uh, a few days without feeding uh, mine, and that apparently was not... It was kind of frowned upon in my neighborhood. No, I... Um, I agree with you, by the way, just so you know. No, I know. I'm just... It's, it's an interesting thought process, personally, because um, it's an open canvas right now. Right, like yeah. I, what I do today and how I speak to Rudy, how I, uh, the the way that I frame the phone, or the internet, or the screen, or the TV to him, matters, right? Because naturally he's gonna have friends whose parents are just like whatever, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter, right? PlayStation for twenty hours a day, no problem. Um, but I personally would like to instill a regulatory balance balance in him. And I don't know personally how to do it. One, because I was the young kid that would go over to my friend's house who had cable, and I would watch it for six hours. R-rated movies. Like, Ooh. couldn't stop. Couldn't, you couldn't, my, my best buds would be like, are we going to go out and play? <laughs> do anything? No, bro. What are you talking about? You got Prime Star, son. I'm staying here. I'm watching Nicole Kidman, Sandra Bullock. Boy, I'm watching Skinamax. Yeah, yeah. Um, those two things might have coincided with puberty too, which is you know that's a whole another gamut. But I, it's interesting to me. I was thinking about it the other day with Taz. I was like, why don't we just frame it like we like you would a car? Like you, you're not gonna be able to drive a car till you're 16, kid. 
Like it's just yeah. not because Rudy is just as infatuated with the driver's seat as he is a phone. Right. And it's like whatever we do, whatever he sees his folks do and his parents do, he wants to emulate. Which is natural. Seemingly natural. Yeah. Right. I I th- I I think uh my mother nailed it in this regard because we you know, I I grew up coming out of a at some point, my folks divorced. That point was about ten years old, mm-hmm. and and it was a shit show for a while. Mm-hmm. But my mother figured out, like, she just, you know, despite everything else, she she would reinforce one point, like, look, you're on your own. She, were, you know, we were all very independent, with even when we didn't want to be. But she said, look, here's the deal: if you do this, then that. If you go out and sleep with a girl, great. If you get her pregnant, here's what your life's going to look like. Mm. Uh, if you, you know, if you go out and get loaded and try to drive home, probably not a good result. And she, she just basically, you know, said, "Yeah, I can't stop you from doing this. I can't not, I can't keep you from being exposed to all kinds of things. But what I can do is prepare you with some education and show you." Some some likely outcomes if mm. you if you go down that path, and mm-hmm. I I think maybe that's your best bet with Rudy is just to to try to start explaining to him everything has a price. Yeah, I feel like um, a lot of the parenting uh, skills that that I inherited um. Came from this like fundamental authoritarian place. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm the parent, and what I say goes, sort of thing. And I don't remember too many scenarios where it was explained to me. Hmm. Like, just recently, it was in my late twenties that that somebody explained to me why you need to be honest. He said the reason why you're honest is because. If you're dishonest, you are given the unfortunate perception that everybody is being dishonest to you. And you cannot operate in a community thinking that everybody is constantly lying to you. If you are not a person who is always honest, you don't know who you can trust as easy as somebody who is always honest. I thought, shit, man, I wish I would have been explained that, right? I was honest when it was helpful to me. But I was relatively dishonest also as a youngster because, you know, that's what I thought was going to be the best case scenario for me. But yet in my adult life, I'm constantly on the tip of like, what are you trying to get from me here? Right? Because I've, I've opened up that door of dishonesty. And uh, I think life has that, right? Like, why, do you, why are you kind to others? Why do you not shout why do you not like why are you not the bolstery like shouting no because we operate in communities we operate as a social being and if you want to be set up to to live as best you possibly can you need to be a good playmate you need to listen to others why because that's going to better your chances at like doing well in life and that was kind of never explained to me. It was always just like, you do it because, you know, either God told you or I say so. And now mm-hmm. I'm sure that, I'm sure there was plenty of times where it was explained to me and I just wasn't listening. But um, it's, it's funny how uh, we've gotten into the uh, parenting topic with two 
people who don't have kids. <laughs> well, it's not a, we're not having a parenting topic. <laughs> yeah. you, Three people. Uh, that does, I'm the only one. I'm hogging the conversation. I may not have kids, but I do plenty of parenting. That's true. Trust me. You have plenty of, you have plenty of nieces and nephews, as I would call uh, it. Yeah. Grown adults that just, you know. Wink, wink. Wink, yeah. wink, all of us. I think also <laughs> just like despite uh, whatever <clears throat> whatever you're going through or however you're, go- however you're you're feeling like you're going to be educating whoever is around you, it just it de- completely depends on your life experience and how that educates you for you to understand how to be an example for the people that you're trying to touch and, and be and cultivate life with. If I don't have kids, I never. I don't know if I will. I I can't speak to that experience at all. But we're not going to change the rules to society. They're going to continue to right. technology is going to continue to get crazier. We're going to continue to get more frustrated by the process, continuing to get less and less and less important. And all we can do is try to cultivate the life that we want to cultivate, and try to be the best example to the people totally. that matter to us. And the only way that we can do that is by trying to just. Be, be that thing for ourselves, I think. What else can we do? Because again, we're, none of the things that we're talking about having frustration surrounding are going to change but on, our, on our accord. Well, I, I would agree and disagree with that. I think that um, there's plenty of things that have changed in our lifetime that the perception around them were completely different. Smoking. Right, Dan, you lived in a day and age where people smoked this far away from you. They smoked cigarettes in a car with closed windows. Smoked cigarettes on airplanes. Yeah, and you're like a leper now if you're smoking cigarettes. Like you have to go out forty feet from the building. You got to tuck it underneath your trench coat. Like the perception around smoking cigarettes has completely changed in our lifetime. What does that come from? It's come from communal understanding and like the the herd understanding of something right and so i i do think that there is power and knowledge and if you continue to discuss and communicate about those things change can happen for sure but um i agree with you it's a little bit of both there's certain things in our life that we're just not going to change into like spin your tires in the mud trying to convince people that like no you need to have a real drummer you got to yeah. have a real drummer on the track or it's not a song, you right. know? Well, it's just finding balance with all of the things that are coming to co- coming into our lives and trying to figure out a way to kind of, you know, put it all together and say, okay, cool. Like these, all, like, yes, technology is increasing and we're getting more and more and more and more and, and things are more addings, uh, more additional pieces on the music and everything's being turned into this digital piece of shit when it, what happened to just like this organic raw piece of art right um, it's, it's all going to seek its own level i mean i'm yeah. sure these same conversations are happening with the advent of the steam engine with yeah. radio yeah, course, with yeah. the television with mm-hmm. with the audio writ- all this written stuff. language everything yeah everything's comes at a price and you know and everything's it's just like doing your best to control the undeniable narrative that's coming anyways like alan trying to focus Rudy if he's on the iPad on the screen he's only allowed to use an art app or a game that's like educational it's not Mm -hmm. just like there to kill time for him it's like this is a tool if it entertains you but you have to be 
proactive and productive on that tool. Totally. Steve, will you be my dad? <laughs> How can what, I be the dad of my dad? It's so funny. It, what's what's funny too about that, which is that's great wisdom, Steve, is I also sense and understand totally the desire to put the kid in front of the screen. Oh. Yeah, I can't like imagine, man. Being like, at a restaurant, I used to just look down my nose at parents who would just hand the kid the phone. But when you're, I mean, first and foremost, as a parent, like you don't get a break, right? There's no oh, breaks for parenting. Do don't know how you do it. Uh, and me and Taz, we, we took Rudy to um, Coeur d'Alene the other day. We had like a little family day. And we went to breakfast in the morning, and homie was just on one. Like, just going for it. And it took every inch of my being not to just give him my phone and turn on a video that I knew he would sit there quietly and watch. Um, and so shout outs, you know, and grace to any parent who's listening to this who's, you know, had to pull that card before because I am, I t completely understand it. But man, what a, what an interesting obstacle to have to navigate. I mean, because personally, right, Dan, back when did you f first start driving? Well, dude, I was in the junkyard. Seven. I don't care. How, when did you first start driving? Seven. Seven. My dad the same. My dad grew up on a farm. Yeah. He was driving vehicles when yeah. he was eight, nine years old. Yeah. Do you think that that would ever happen today? Just in different parts of the world, sure. I mean, maybe different parts of the world, but but you you get my idea not right? as much as it used to <clears throat> not as know? much as it used to like yeah. the perception around things have changed right and i think that the perception around technology and phones and the internet has to change like we are growing up in the adolescent stage of every piece of information ever gathered ever in humanity's history is right at your fingertips like we are in the prepubescent, I just got my first ball hair stage of that happening, yeah. and there has to be some evolution to the regulation. Well, it, it's an interesting uh, point you raised because you started this off with driving. Yeah. And, you know, uh, and I see a whole generation of my nieces and nephews, they really don't give two shits about driving or a car. Because oh, wow. they don't. They, not like we did. You know, because right. just in one generation, it shifted from like the, your automobile was your. It was everything. In one steel box, you had your identity, your status, uh, your wow. hopes, and your, you know, and all the things that were going to happen because of this car and the things you could do and places you could go. Well, all of that is being taken care of by this now. Mm. Wow, that's such an interesting you know, point. And and that, you know, cars that people could take or leave them. It's just yeah. and they're it's reflected in the kind of the 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 style and the. What's available now is just like it's just transportation now. It's a it's a dis, it's an appliance. It's yeah. disposable. It's just a crappy little microwave that you get. It heats your food up and whatever. It gets me to point B. But when you get to point B, you're probably going to be on someone else's computer. Or, I don't know. I mean, you know, along with the car. But what really amazes me is I don't see them as interested in in sex even as our generation was. It's just well, like the phone's probably taking care of that for them too. Probably it's a lot easier and it's a lot safer and. Um, but man, I mean, these these are two of the big things I see huge shifts in just in one generation. Um, and I don't know that maybe we were just we were freaks and we were too involved in cars and and sex, and now there's it's normalized or 
where we've just been kind of normal people and now there's it's just such a a neutered world now in this regard i don't know but i i and you guys help me out what do you guys see well i don't have young teenagers in my life uh i don't know any like i can think of one or two but i don't know them that well i think it will present itself a little bit more when my like nephews are getting to that age yeah um but but also my my siblings are really good at like regulating those things. Yeah. They're very good at regulating screen time and television and So to, they they say things like you're going to when you're 16 you're going to get a license and a car and you're going to go out there and get with chicks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Instead That's the of, way it's going to be. I don't want to hear any another word about it. <laughs> you're going to be back by midnight <laughs> with a girl. You're going to you're going to stay out till 3 tonight. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, uh I don't know. I mean like I said I'm not around um, uh, young kids like that age, you know, like eleven to sixteen. I'm not like that's a gap in age that I'm just not presented with cra- or around. Yeah, but the crazy thing is, you don't have to be around young kids to understand the effects of what's happening. I I can only speak for myself in what my experience is with that stuff and those exact same things like porn and like being able to call the car to get picked up with and do, 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 everything that I do uh, texting DMing social media and and my in, it, somehow inherent interest in just constantly looking at it and, and being absorbed by it is completely distracting me more so mm. than I have ever felt distracted in my entire life and I will be the first to admit that I am like a complete product of my own device and it scares the shit out of me. And as much as I want to be a good example for myself, I catch myself all the time. All the time. Like, I catch myself being around you and around other people just, like, being on my phone, being on my phone, being on my phone. And then it's just, like, or then you judge yourself and then you go right back to it. And you even, like, wake up in the morning. I wake up in the fucking morning and I tell myself, you can't look look at your phone for the first like 20 minutes if we wake up Good you wake luck. up you wake up and you're going to like sit there and you're going to breathe and you're going to do some meditations do not look at your device <laughs> without question every single morning even when i'm just like you know julian just don't just don't fuck it what's going on mm. and then i just sit there and i fucking drop it on my face and fuck it hurts. It's just like, you know, it's just like a sign. It's like, it's, yeah, it's, it's hurting you physically now. Have you guys it's, seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene in there where, remember, Billy is one of the inmates and Jack's talking to him and he, and he learned, Jack learns that uh, Billy is in there voluntarily. Yeah. yeah. Remember that? Yeah, and he yeah, says, yeah. Right. It's like, Billy, what are you doing? You ought to be out driving around in a convertible. Yeah. Bird dog and chicks and right. banging beaver or something like that, you know? <laughs> it's, it's like, dogging, bro. I love <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> And that's kind of how I feel when I when I see this. It's like, what you guys are missing out on so much just because mm, totally. it's it's uh, cheap, safe, and easy, and uh, you know you don't get dirty. And that's I think that's what's missing, you know, because I mentioned that earlier. Like you can make a painting without even getting your fucking hands dirty, and you can you can have a sexual experience without getting dirty or or venereal disease, and you can you can you know it's safe and it's but it doesn't get you anywhere. Yeah, really. You know? Yeah, I mean, we've we've. I was watching a uh, show called, I think it was Alone. It's this show they put a bunch of these uh, survivalists out in the middle of nowhere, 
and they give them a couple tools. And I think they, everyone knows what a loan is. Really? I think so. Okay. Um, Jules, do you know? I do know. I did. Um, you showed sorry, me. Sorry, I stand corrected. <laughs> no, I knew it. He showed me. And uh, I'm just, I've been kind of infatuated with the idea of it because, right, this is how our ancestors survived less than 500 years ago, and they yeah. didn't have Gore-Tex. They didn't have fire starter. They, you know, they, the people that we came from were full on hard ass people. And if we have a f- relative or a friend that we think has had to survive outside in the elements for a one single night, we call the authorities. We were, we're incredibly worried about them. Whereas we used to be that close and connected to nature that, it was no problem, right? Like, that's just how we survived. And I think that <clears throat> uh, the one uh, quote from that show that I took away from was one of the guys was like, we've sacrificed a lot yeah. for convenience. We've sacrificed a lot of our humanity for convenience. I feel like that all the time. Um, with that same thing, with this device and, and, and the convenience that we've brought into our life, uh, we've, we've given up a lot of ability to live closer to the things that, that, that satiate us actually. Um, it's, yeah, it's definitely an interesting thought that's, that's experience. That's all technology. You know, that's why they have the wheel. All technology ever created has been for human convenience. Totally. But there is, a, there, there is what I'm, I guess my point is, is there's a level of technology that doesn't override humanism. Like when you pick up a wheelbarrow, you're still connected to some aspect of the weight of that thing. Yeah. Right? Whereas the technology that we utilize to like make a song, bro, I've been in, I've been in sessions with people who couldn't play a note on any instrument, couldn't sing a single note in pitch, and they had platinum records on the wall. And... Now, it doesn't matter, I guess, because who's to say who's the musician and who's not? What is music, right? Like, if you want to get mad about that shit. But there is something involved in the convenience of technology that pulls the human out of the relationship altogether, where the computer is doing everything, where the technology is doing everything. And I think that that... I wrote a song about it. This song called Fake Future on my record Radius is all about humans, the, the, the singularity, essentially, right? That idea that Kurzweil came up with. I don't know if it was specifically him, but he's kind of credited for it, yeah. where the next stage in human evolution will be the melding of technology. Mm-hmm. And whether that's a good thing or not, I think we're already kind of there, but it's definitely interesting to talk about. Yeah, I think about trolling when you say stuff like that, because it's like the people that troll people and just diss them on the internet, they would never say that to someone's face. They've never been punched in the face, and they've never punched anyone in the face. And it's a real human element of like, the emotion you're trying to give someone to hurt somebody really, and you're just doing it in this safe, ambiguous net. Yeah. It's gross. It's so gross. And it's the same dynamic, Steve, as... Uh what I mentioned initially about the, the texting and emails, it, you know, it's, it's the, it's when you get behind the wheel of your car, you, you, I, I become a complete dick. I mm. know I am. I would never treat someone face to face. Like I do, like when I get behind the wheel and I'm trying to, I'm working on that and I've gotten a lot better, but I recognize mm. it 
and and this is this is yeah this happens on the you know wholesale on the internet now it's just it's 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 taking all the humanity away well i think that you there's i don't i mean it's tough to go back and think about the splits and the and the whys in human evolution but communication is a fully faceted dimensional um, exchange it should be at least right when you talk to somebody and you're in the same room as them you're not only feeling their their body language their uh, I was listening to something recently that they can actually measure heart rhythm and that our hearts can measure each other's rhythms specifically in the same room I've been doing that 100% since we sat down (laughs) (laughs) I have a pacemaker (laughs) so I'm tricking you um but there's so many different dimensions of communication that happen in real time when you're standing next to somebody. And we're now communicating so much more frequently on a single dimensional platform, which is like the written word. And, and a, a lot of the written word through text, through email is like so, because we're trying to do so many things so fast. Man, I've, I've read back on text messages that I've sent and I'm like, I can interpret that 45 different ways. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know how the hell the person who got it interpreted it. <clears throat> so fragmented. Uh, it's, it's at least something that we can talk about, I think, and go, we should be careful. We should be a little bit more careful. I feel like we're in the day and age, like, say cars started hitting the road and, and coming out to the public in the early 1900s. I feel like it's like 1915. And it's time. And people are like... Yeah, these cars are going like 55 miles an hour now on gravel roads, and maybe we should think about <clears throat> seatbelts and who's safety behind glass. the wheel, safety glass. Yeah. Like, you know. Um, but whose responsibility is it besides our own personal responsibility to try and regulate that with ourselves? Yeah, like, it's, right? it's, yeah. It's, it's all of that. It's us. You don't want Rudy hitting six years old and accessing the dark web. I mean, that's not, you know. No, no, you don't. I mean, you, you, I think personal responsibility is the ultimate way. Right. I think that like trying to lean on some governing faction to set rules and to put them in place to personally, I don't really, I don't enjoy that. I think that we need it for sure that we need some aspect of regulation happening, but I believe personal responsibility is the best. And how do we, how do I personally determine what that, personal responsibility is is through talking to people who i trust yeah. and i respect and i consider uh i consider their perspective and so i think the more you talk about it like the better you're going to be able to be to self-regulate dan you've your perspective is and and dimension of being able to see things is completely different from mine because your experience is different jules you're the same steve you're the same and so communicating and opening up that that uh exchange to people you trust and care about, I think is always a really beneficial thing to do. Um, you know, all this talk about communication and I just want to make one little quick point here. It was a, it was a statement from a, a guy named Bud Hazel at mm-hmm. Gonzaga University. I was a business major and okay. I had to take this communications course and day one, he, he comes in and he goes, look, if you don't remember anything else from this class, remember this. And, and I do, I remember exactly what he said verbatim. He said, 
you know, it was a communications course, and he and he said, "Write to communicate, not to impress." Mm. And I've found in my life a direct correlation with you know paint. That was you know, with thing with painting, we talked about authenticity at the top of this segment about you know what's real, what's really you, what isn't you know. And if you're trying to impress somebody, that's not real. That's not that's not communicating mm. who you really are. That's just that's just flexing muscles. Mm. Um, so, you know, you know, we're talking about these different forms of communication and how they they aren't really who we are. You know, mm. being being shitty to someone or or being uh, what's the word you use, Steve? Troll. Yeah, you used another descriptor there. It was. Um, uh, can you roll that back and tell me yeah, what? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but you know. If we if you if you're really real with yourself and you think about what it is that you really want to say and boil it down and then then relay that that's ideal but that takes a minute and yeah. and <clears throat> um, and I think you can carry that same philosophy into writing a song or painting a painting or or even building a house there's a I'll say it there's a there's a house that's been being built as we've been building this little cabin down here, mm. kind of the same, except it's on steroids. And, and I happen to know from talking to the builder that the owners say, and, it, and I've got actually an architect friend who's the same way. So many clients come to this and say, we want to build the biggest thing because we want people to know we're rich or we want to be impressive. Mm. And this is, I think, what happens in a lot of areas in our lives. People want to impress each other. They want to... Mm. Uh, be impressive they want to be bigger than they are and you know i think you have to watch out for that because it probably doesn't lead to anything good well what's interesting is it never stops it's a bottomless pit it's a bottomless pit like where it leads is endless like because you're never going to impress enough people in order to impress yourself and that's the you know that's the same dynamic at work on the internet you know and you know all these all these idealized uh, realities or perceived realities of someone else's existence and you, you're constantly, you know, chasing that rabbit around the track and you'll never catch it, Mm-mm. you know. It's exhausting. <clears throat> well, what's, a- what's actually impressive to me, Dan, is uh, the conversations that we always wind up having with you because you kind of put our brains into another area that that kind of has requires us to beg the question of to like why are we doing what we're doing and and where does that really come from and you seem to have although you might disagree a really really strong handle on um the way that you operate your life and and the things that you do to keep yourself creatively fulfilled and and just satiated in your life as a as a person and i think uh, I can speak for all three of us when when I say like we really admire the shit out of you, yeah, man. man. And like oh, you're, thanks. I don't know who else is a mentor of this guy besides you. And like ever since the day one of of meeting you, he's like, man, this guy is an insane dude. And 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 it's it speaks huge volumes of you to say that this guy has a mentor because I did, I never knew that he could or did until he started speaking of you. Well, let um, me tell you a quick little story, please, if I may. And it was. Uh, you know, probably 12 years ago, I had a friend of mine getting married, and he goes, hey, uh, come down tonight to the Big Dipper. There's this guy playing. He was, I think he's awesome, you know. And it was Alan Stone. And he, so I came down and listened, and and I was like, man, blown away. And then so we met shortly after that, and then he, Alan was slated to play 
my friend's wedding. And I was just starting out playing bass, getting around town and gigging a little bit. And, you know, and I said, I said, you know what? If he's just going to play solo, I'll come out and play bass with him. And, uh, and I, you know, I think he might've brought that up to Al and Al wasn't really too keen on the idea apparently because it didn't happen. But, uh, but I end up giving Al a right. confirm or deny that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, who's this fucking clown is playing bass with me? Like, and then, uh, so I end up taking Al to the airport. I'm condensing all this down. And then, uh, so we kind of chatted a little bit on the way, but you know, it was, I think he was still uncomfortable because I had a bass guitar in the back of the rig. And, uh, so anyway, I, I, the next time I recall meeting Al was, you know, we're playing down at Zola on a Thursday night or something, and, and in rocks Al with his entire band after a gig, and it's like, hey, was it South by Southwest maybe the next time I saw you? I think we, we had hung out after you played at Zola one night. We had played over at the Big Dipper, I believe. Okay. And then after yeah. that, it was South by. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, so anyway, so we kind of, and then that night that you hung out, I think... You pulled me aside and said, dude, when I make it, I want you to build my house. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so to kind of fast forward and come come back around to all this, to what you were saying, Julian, and thank you, thank you both. Um, this, you know, people say, you know, do anything fun this week? And I said, well, fuck, nothing I do isn't fun. I mean, mm-hmm. if it's not fun, I'm not doing it. If it's not really what I want to be doing, I'm not going to. I don't have to anymore. You mm-hmm. know? So all this to say, um, this is all part of my evil plan, you see, because <laughs> uh, I feel you know, 100% responsible, even though that's not true. I feel 100% responsible for Al being in Spokane and setting up camp here. You know, mm-hmm. I think slowing down to this, this COVID thing has been an eye-opener, but in a good way. Um, we've had a few conversations about you maybe not touring as much and maybe finding a way to be with your family more, still do the music, but not hit it so hard. And can you make all that work and maybe exploring other ways to make a buck? And again, all this to say that this, this is a dream come true for me to be hanging up here with four or three cool cats on a weekly basis and doing creative things and exploring what the future looks like uh, this is exactly what I want to be doing, mm. you know, and wherever that leads is great. Or if it doesn't lead to anything else, that's great too. But this, you know, um, I don't think you should try to fill in too many blanks. Yeah. I leave it, leave the discovery as, as kind of, uh, the best part about it. It's well, like, where will this lead? I don't know. Yeah. But it's nice to have, uh, uh, somebody like you to follow the example of in that regard. So, so the full circle is, you know, in some weird, twisted world, fate has got me playing bass with Alan Stone. Yeah, man. <laughs> you know what's the most impressive thing about all that shit is that you just—I I figured you'd been playing bass for thirty years. No, man. What have you been playing bass for, like six years or something? I started about uh, about two thousand and one, I think. Started up again. I played for a minute in high school, but it, I didn't know anything about anything, so it doesn't really count. That's funny. Uh, the the full circle is that I'm finally playing bass with yeah. <laughs> I was gonna get you, sir. Evil planned. That's great. I think awesome. um, one, you are absolutely a hundred percent responsible for us being in Spokane. Um, 
it was because of you bringing me out here, showing me this space, and then calling my wife and going, hey, I kind of need somebody to help me with this project I got. Whatever it takes, man, I'll do it. And she took a job from you, and her and Aaron uh, and the small crew of merry men that you've assembled, um, it took them throwing this property together to to get me to move out of the cabin in Chihuahua that I was posted up in for many years. And then the field trip. Field trip. (coughs) There's there's been a ton of creative projects that we've been able to do together that have, I think for me, you know, I feel more excited today about. um, We got Steve and Laura out here now. Steve and Laura, we captured them. We kidnapped them. We kidnapped Julian. It's a dream come true. We're. we're, We're, we're kidnapping Seriously, them one by Steve. one, dude. We're picking them off, baby. We're picking them off. I'll There's tell you what, life. Dan. When I make it, you can build my house too, brother. I wouldn't have it any other way. Deal. I'm down. Um, I uh, just want to thank you, Dan, for your uh, openness to uh, shedding wisdom to three knuckleheads like us. And uh, for the um, limitless inclusiveness that you seem to exude uh, in your life with the people that manage to get inside your orbit, I know that all three of us um, really appreciate your hospitality and your uh, your kindness and, and, and including us in this crazy universe that... Uh, that you've you've managed to find yourself in. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> yeah, Thanks, Dad. I can't wait to see where we are a year from now. Me too. It's gonna be it's gonna be awesome, whatever it is, it, wherever it is. It's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be fun. Yeah. Um, thank you, man. Thanks for being yeah. on the pod. Thank you, Dan. Uh, it's over when I say it's over. Okay, right? <laughs> it's true. No, it's, I'm the senior member here. This is, this is hey, true. Version, it's o- version, it's version o- four of the podcast. Yeah. If you like this, this podcast, it's because of Dan Spaulding. This is <laughs> over right this. now. Not another word. <laughs> over. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> Thanks, that was Dan. Great. Thank you, Dan. Love you, man. Love, Love you, you guys. All right. Oh, boo-boo, did you just make it to the end of the video? Yes, you did. Do you want to see more videos just like this one, huh? Do you? Well, then head over to patreon.com slash live at the lodge where you can support the how goods of this podcast as well as the entire Live at the Lodge family. Yep, yeah, you're going to get exclusive merch, personalized shout-out videos. Me and Jules, we're going to show up at your house and baptize your nephew, huh? Check it out, Patreon dot com slash live at the lodge.